I had wrapped up my identity in being a successful startup entrepreneur, right? Like that was a big thing. So it was like, it, it was like, I can't lose that because that's, that's who I am, you know? And even to this day still, it's like, it, it was, it was a very tough journey to overcome, you know, like this was the one thing I felt like there's many things I'm really good at in my life and I'm not, you know, trying to be boastful, but I've excelled in many ways, but this was like the one place that I felt like I really belonged. And I was like, Chris, the, sex, the, the successful entrepreneur, like that was who I was. So it was part of that too. And just not wanting to fail. Like, I, you know, I just didn't, you know, when you have employees that you care about and you're doing something you feel is profound in the world, you, you want to fight for that. I think a lot of people were surprised, you know, mentors and coaches and friends. I, I think they just thought that I was going to pull us out of it because I, I had before so many times. Like, they, I don't think they took it seriously when I was telling them like, things are dire, like things aren't good. The state's shutting us down. Like I have to go find $200,000 just to operate, not to keep going, not not to grow, just to keep operating, I have to find 200K, not to mention the expansion costs and everything else, plus the salaries that I need, because I can't keep doing what I'm doing because I just got this nasty diagnosis. And the doctors are telling me if I keep being the glue of the engine and everything, it's over, right? So really, really tough situation. Welcome back to the Entrepreneur Adventure Podcast, where we give you the tools to climb higher and faster than ever before. Let's face it, a reality of life is that we are going to encounter challenges. But the beauty of it is, on the other side, we often discover what we're really made of and sometimes may even learn a little bit about our identity. Please welcome our guest for today, Mr. Chris Michael Harris, founder of Startup You and host of Startup You Podcast and Startup You TV. And if you're that entrepreneur that's finding yourself in a season characterized by challenges, well, I think you're going to find some encouragement from our conversation with Chris as he discusses the challenges that he has faced and has overcome. And with that, I'll turn it over to our hosts, Josh Melton and Chad Brown. Ladies and gents, we're excited to have you back for the Entrepreneur Adventure Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Melton, joined by my co-host. That's right, Chad. Right, still the co-host, Chad Brown, the serial CFO. Loves when I call him the co-host. And we're fired up to bring you a special friend and special guest today. He is the founder of Startup You and the host of Startup You Podcast and Startup You TV. The man who really needs no introduction, Mr. Chris Michael Harris. Man, welcome back to the podcast. You're too kind. I appreciate it. Now, full disclosure here. We've had you on the podcast before. We were newbies. We hadn't taken your podcast course yet. We totally screwed it up. And we blew up our audio. Uh, so we're this is you coming back. This is going to be the yeah. first episode we release. So uh, thank hopefully you we can question. replicate it because I feel like that was a powerful conversation. Oh, and I will say this. I will I will extend some grace. And I think I told you this, Josh. Uh, some of my it's like the tech gods for some reason. Just you have to overcome some of the challenges because I, some of the biggest guests that I've had on my show, I've had technical difficulties and I've had to go back and redub the entire thing. And so I totally get it. Totally understand for whatever reason. It just happens sometimes. And just to put it in context, and Chad, you can echo this, but we before the first episode, Chris tells us, hey, guys, I just cleared some stuff, and I can talk about some stuff for the very first time, like in a mm. public format, and then we lost it. So, uh, Oh, not, not only did we lose it, it, and it was at the time so exciting for us. I mean, there was so much there and so much new. You hadn't shared that story with anybody. Yeah. And if I recall correctly, all Josh and I were left with was our side of the conversation. It was like oh, wow. the, the worst of all worlds, but it, hey, we live and we learn, and here we are again for round two. 
And then just to be clear, Josh likes to claim this host title and he mutes my microphone during the intro. So I can't even have a comeback. I can't say anything. So I can validate. I saw he muted you. I can, he, I can vouch for that. He, he did. He, he likes this. Yeah. Like I'm the host and Chad's the co-host. Um, you know, I'm his assistant. Uh, we all know. What a the true Batman and Robin situation going on here. It really is, man. <laughs> Chad's having an identity crisis. It's hard being Robin. And I understand that Chad, like I dude, I'm with mm. you. Like, I really do feel for you being in the Robin side, you know, kind of the sidekick kind of thing going. Hey, and I'm, by the way, Chad, I am excited to have you on the podcast today, mm -hmm. my friend, too, as the co-host. But uh, let's kick it off with this, just to let people know, too. So we're old friends here. So Chris used to live in Athens, Georgia. We've all known each other for a while. I believe you two guys were in like a some type of uh, boot camp or mastermind together at some point, right? We were. That's right. We were in a small business boot camp. That's for, I knew of Chris uh, through... Uh, business and through friends of friends, but that's the first time I think we'd ever met. And uh, that was my first experience into being a part of something that was more business ownership or business leadership uh, course related. And so it was such an awesome experience for me to connect with other business owners and to hear stories. And, and man, Chris, you were a huge part of that. You were moving and shaking lots of things with the moving company at the time, making some pivot transitions and I think right at the end of that, uh, pretty close to when you moved or, or were thinking about moving or doing some things different. So it was a awesome experience for me, man, and really where our journey started and and getting to know a little more about each other and just excited to have you here and learn where you're at today and all the cool things you're doing, man. Cool. I'm excited. So Chris, you got some awesome things going on now, and I want to get to that, but I want to hear a little bit of your entrepreneur adventure first so again mm. chad mentioned the moving company you're you're an entrepreneurial minded dude anyway right i mean you just i'm sure when you're like nine years old you probably had like that candy at school you're selling or something but man let us know like kind of your first rise into like legit entrepreneurship and you're like oh okay like i can do this like tell us a little bit of the yeah. chris michael harris story yeah so i'm glad it's aptly named the adventure for what you guys do because that's certainly been the case for me um, so starting out, you're absolutely right. It was from a very young age, just kind of seeing beyond the hour for pay model. I, I always preface this by saying, I love people that love the hour for pay model because I'm not able to do what I do at my best without people that are committed to helping me see that through. And that's nine to five people that show up every single day. So I don't say that to diminish their significance in the world. I do not at all. Uh, however, for me and the type of person that I am, it just doesn't resonate and it never has. Uh, so start out at a very young age, I would say probably fourth, fifth grade, but even prior to that, hustling, doing things, going door to door, selling things, the lemonade stand type guy, stuff like that. But I think the biggest one that started opening my eyes towards being able to make real money, right, was between fifth and sixth grade. So uh, getting ready for middle school, I, I think I wanted uh, Nintendo 64, Super Nintendo, I think it was, yeah, I think it was N64, it doesn't matter, you know, whatever it was at that time. Um. And I was determined to get that and the games that I wanted and stuff like that. So I, I went out and uh, while my friends were hanging out at the pool and hoping mom and dad would give them an allowance to be able to pay for it, I was like, well, let's go make some money. So I started cutting my neighbor's lawns and next door neighbor would see me doing it. Say, hey, you want to do mine too? So it, I ended up doing basically the whole street in addition. I live in a cul-de-sac and basically that entire street, I was just basically cutting, I would say 60% of people uh, cutting their lawns. Uh, I think I made just shy of $3,000 over the course of a summer, just going up and down, doing edging and stuff like that. So between fifth and sixth grade, that's serious money, right? Oh, yeah. I pretty much was able to do whatever I wanted to do with that money thereafter. Uh, so that was my first like real kind of experience. And there was always little things here and there. Uh, got to high school and it was more of the same, 
ended up getting to the point where I think over between 10th and 11th grade, or maybe it was 11th to 12th, one of the two. Uh, again, it was kind of in a similar vein of what we we're doing, what I was doing with lawn care. But I was pressure washing shrubs, cleaning people's gutters. And one of those requests that came in, a buddy of mine and I were doing this in high school together. One of them was a moving request. And it was an elderly couple that had moved from up north down to Georgia and had a really poor experience. And uh, I came to find later on just why that was the case. But a lot of this, your, your big box brand companies, just they didn't feel gave them the personal care that they really wanted out of a moving experience and ended up damaging quite a lot of their sentimental items and stuff. So they hired us, you know, two, two college schmucks or high school schmucks rather, just had no experience doing moving whatsoever, but they felt that they could build a better relationship with just a different experience, right? We'd never done a move before, ever. <laughs> Somehow we'd pulled it off. We ended up hiring some of our friends and bringing them in and ended up keeping them on board. I think by the end of that summer, we had like six or seven of our friends working for us. We weren't, do it was all on a table. It was no like W2 1099 stuff, but quote unquote hiring our friends. Uh, but that we, of the $16,000 we did that summer, which is what we ended up doing, like eight to 10 of it came from that one move. And so that kind of stuck with me. And then I go off and actually I was trying to be a preferred walk on to various uh, colleges. I ended up going to Samford, not Stanford, Samford in Birmingham, Alabama. Uh, I found out I was a little too short and a little too white to play division one basketball. <laughs> uh, and so that didn't work out. Uh, went to the Merchant Marine Academy in New York. Uh, that was another another interest that I had to go play basketball up there. I was there for a week, jumped out the rack during Reveille, broke my ankle, found out I had birth defects in both of them. Doc says, if you keep playing basketball like this with the vert the lateral movements, you're going to have arthritis by like 25. So needless to say, my basketball career was was over. So I'm all bummed trying to like put my life back together. So I go, hey, I'm going to go have some fun. I've been so committed to basketball and all these things for so long. I'm going to go have some fun. So I go to Athens and I go to UGA. And I lived downtown at the time. It was one of the only apartments that was like new downtown Athens. Now I think they're just everywhere. It's just the whole city's been, I'm sure it's even more different now than what I remember it to be. Uh, but it was one of the few that was downtown called 909 Broad. And this building kind of the way it's configured, I always joke and say that it was designed by a kindergartner with a crayon because <laughs> the, the way one of the hallways goes, it goes like an eighth of a mile away from the parking deck. So moving in and out of that building was just a nightmare. So I happened to see these, these two, so a couple of my peers, and I was a single guy, right? So of course I'm gonna, any chance I get, I'm gonna approach some attractive young females uh, and, and insert myself into that conversation. And uh, they're moving one of those big fold out sofas down the hall, right? And those things, if you've ever looked underneath, the, you know, the underbelly of those things, it's, I mean, it's iron, right? It, it's heavy stuff. So grab my brother, we help them move. Mom throws us a big tip, she's like, so thankful we wouldn't have been able to do this without you guys. I think she gave us like 50 bucks. And I'm like, you know, I'd had jobs here and there. I worked at a burrito joint and stuff like that. Even as a supervisor, I was making like maybe $8.50 an hour. I'm like, I would have had to work several hours, maybe an entire work day to get this, what I got in like 15 minutes, just helping move a sofa. So we had built a reputation as the party guys in that building. So we, with the lease manager, I think she knew we were good kids, but we just had a good time. We went up to her and said, can we put a flyer? just up here in the office so that other people, if they have a request, then great. I think we ended up moving. I think she said like 30% of that building that summer, just because of how difficult it is moving in and out. And I think it was over the course, this was end of summer. So I think it was only like, like 30 to 45 days. I think we made, I want to say six to $8,000, something like wow. that in a very, very short period of time. We were hustling like crazy. And it just so happened, my brother had a friend that also was in Athens going to UGA. His grandfather had a moving truck. So it was very serendipitous in that way. So we were able to do a lot out of that one specific building. 
So I go off, graduate, get a quote unquote real job because that's what you did back then. Entrepreneurship has become very glamorous as of late, but back then this was 10 years ago. It wasn't the case. So I'm thinking, this is what you do. This is what you went to school for. Well, meanwhile, my brother and his friend, they continued to do the moving company. I think they did like $23,000 or $24,000 the next summer. And I was helping fund it. And I was giving them stuff to, to, they were going to their classrooms and pitching to their peers and students and going to the fraternity and sorority houses and stuff like that. Uh, going to the bars, wearing, passing out shirts and you know, all this stuff. So I'm coming back helping out. And I, in the meanwhile, with this job, um, I'm experiencing what, the nine to five, the reality of that is, and I'm like this, I, I like instinctively knew, intuitively knew this wasn't the path for me. But I think there was like this one pivotal moment that stands and sticks with me. And it was my boss, whom I, I really love. He gave me a huge opportunity. I think he was a phenomenal guy. I think he knew it wasn't the right fit. Um, but he says to me, and, I, and I, it's so weird. I remember like so vividly what I was wearing, what he was wearing. I remember where I was sitting. Like it's just one of those defining moments of my life and you don't know it to be until after the fact. But he says, until your, your hair looks like mine, you're never going to be fully respected in this business. This dude was two years from retirement. His hair was white as snow. Like I'm not interested in that. I'm a young lad. I'm 21, 22 years old or whatever I was. Like I'm not interested in that. That doesn't make sense to me, Right. So, so here I am sitting here thinking I got to wait 40 years to even garner respect, or I've got this thing that's generating $20,000 over the course of just some college kids throwing some together with grandpa's moving truck, right? So I literally just, I think about a month later, just submitted my two weeks and they said, hey, thanks, you know, no, you can go now if you want. I'm like, okay. So I just go for it. I'm all in full time, don't know what I'm doing, I have no idea, I never built a business other than just, you know, the little things I've done on the side. And I think within, from that point forward, 24 months later, I think we hit 1.2 million in revenue. We were doing business in 32 states around the country. We were working with five of the seven major furniture manufacturers in the states, quote unquote manufacturers. Uh, and we were doing residential moves pretty much all over the place. So we went from pretty much nothing to me just leaving my job to having at one point, I think 350 part-time employees scattered all over the country. I'm driving the distance from New York to Los Angeles and back in like 10 days, not actually from New York to LA, but the distance, the equivalent distance of, I mean, I'm all over the place. Red eyes here, red eyes there. No idea what I'm doing. Managing cash flow that I have no idea how to manage. I remember having times where, you know, I had $65,000 in payroll, but I hadn't been paid because I'm working with big companies and they're kind of pushing off their cash flow problems onto me. And I had to come up with $45,000 in like 36 hours. No idea how I'm going to do that. Right. So by 25, 26, I'm dealing with some really big boy stuff. Uh, and, I, and I say moving company, the catalyst for the, the growth was really the installation work that, that these manufacturers that I referenced, you know, reached out to us to do. Uh, and I honestly, when that request came in, didn't think it was a real request. Turns out it was. We took a very white collar approach to a blue collar industry, just innovating and disrupting in that space. Uh, and it turns out we did such a great job. We were the only installation company that had actually done one successfully. Um, and so quickly word got out. And so five of the seven major players came to us and said, Hey, we want to work with you too. Uh, so basically it was like, we're, we're moving people traditionally with the residential stuff, but on the furniture installation stuff, uh, it was the, the trend in that industry was fully furnished, right? So you show up and you move into your apartment, your brand new apartment, and you've got your sofa and you've got your bed and you've got your nightstand, you got your entertainment. It's all there for you. You just bring your personal belongings. So it's funny because we were kind of feeding on both, both ends, right? So people that are bringing grandma's old oak furniture, it's heavier than hell and hard to get up four flights of stairs. We're moving that. 
we're also doing the installation work so that you don't have to worry about it at all. So we were kind of really cornering the market on both sides uh, and completely outgrowing ourselves. So that's kind of from, you know, beginning of my inception to now pushing into my mid twenties and my first multi-million dollar company. And at, at this point, this kind of just fell in your lap. This wasn't something that you were out trying to pitch or sell to these big furniture manufacturers. They just, it just happened to fall into an awesome opportunity for you. I'm to- glad you asked that because yes, it fell into our laps, but it, there was some intention behind it. Like I fully believe okay. that you create, I'm, a, I'm the believer that you create your own luck. Absolutely. Um, and so creating our own luck in that particular instance was, I, and this is important. This is really important because when I tell that story, it's like, wow, Chris is so great. And like, he never had to struggle and it just took off. And that's not the case at all. I struggled mightily. I mean, from, from the first eight months when I quit my job, I mean, I was, you know, the business was growing, but growth requires cash in a low margin business. I wasn't able to sustain myself and keep growing the business. So I was losing weight because I couldn't afford to feed myself. I was doing laundry in my bathtub. I was jogging in my office. I mean, it was really tough. So November, that was like February of, of 2012 by November. Um, we, my, my girlfriend, whom is now my wife, Kim, um, it was her birthday. And so my family came to Athens, my brother was there and stuff like that. And, uh, I think we did $48,000 from the time I left my job to there, but it still just wasn't enough in that type of business. And, um, so I was just flat broke to be quite blunt. And I remember I, I, I could not uh, afford to pay for my own meal, let alone to buy her birthday meal or give her a gift of any sort her birthday so my younger brother had to step in and he bought her a gift he paid for dinner and stuff like that and I remember I came home that night and I was like I- I'm glad that I'm entrepreneurial I love this thing about me uh, I love that I have ideas and I love that I'm really excited and I'm doing the work but I got to figure it out or I got to get a job like this isn't right I knew at that point I wanted to marry this person we'd been dating for about a year at that point and I was like this is it I got to make it happen I got to do something else like I got to man up and do something right uh, so I literally went to Google and, and I'm like okay what do I search I went to webmasters tools and I just poured over the internet, right? Just went crazy. Uh, and she was doing, she was working at a pretzel stand at uh, the mall there in Athens in the east side of town. And she was there for Black Friday and her back was killing her stuff like that. I'm like, I've got to, I've, like, I got to figure this out. I have to figure this out. I'm not giving myself an option. So I literally just went crazy putting out rich search friendly content specific uh, for the Athens area, right? Anything about moving in Athens, Georgia, I was blogging about it. I was putting it on my website. I redid my website myself. I taught myself how to do it. Uh, we went from the fourth page of Google to number one overall uh, in about four or five months. Went from the fourth page to the first page in a month, overall number one. And I'm talking jumping big, the big players, right? I'm talking the two men's in the truck. I'm talking all the big boys in that space, all of the big box brands. We jumped them to hit number one overall in Athens. And that's when things just took off. Coincidentally, not a month after we hit number one overall, that's when the first request for the, for the furniture installation came through. Had I not invested, not just how I did, but when I did, we might've missed that opportunity. That, that, that's, how, that's how crazy the stars aligned, but how, in, how imperative it was that I jumped at that opportunity when I did. Now, who knows what would have happened? I may have found another opportunity similarly down the road, but it just so happened that it perfectly aligned. Uh, and I honestly didn't believe it because that contract alone, that one contract was $60,000. And the, again, the previous year, I'd only done 48. So that quickly led to, I think, $484,000 by... So this is now like April of 13. By October of 13, we hit just under 500,000. So I like bring this thing out, but it's like, dude, a thousand percent revenue growth in about six to eight months. I mean, that's, that was a pretty, pretty painful process to go through that. But to answer your question more succinctly, uh, that's, that's how it happened. We just figured out how do we create opportunities? Where's the river of opportunity and how do we kind of 
tap into that so we get a, a piece of that pie. And when that that first big opportunity showed up in this contract, is that something you had to think about? Was that my back so far against the wall with trying to figure out how to make this entrepreneurial journey work? I'm yeah. going to take this or were you intimidated at first and trying to decide, is this something we can tackle or handle? I don't, I don't. So glad you asked that. I, I, I don't think I've ever in my life been so determined. Like I think I would have literally found a way to build a spacecraft and get to the moon myself to get that contract. <laughs> like I literally gave myself no option. I was like, I will sell this contract or I will sell this contract. Um, yes. I spent many nights. I would go up to the property because the property was right up the street. It was uh, the flats at Cars Hill in Athens. Yeah. You guys yeah, are yeah. familiar with. That was the first one we did. And I would go up there with a stopwatch and we would literally time carrying certain items of furniture around because we had no idea how to price the thing. Like <laughs> no idea, right? And so they're like, what have you done stuff like this before? And I had to kind of get creative about other things we had done that even kind of even remotely tied into that, right? It was like, not really, but here's what we've done. Kind of make it look like we have. But yeah, I, I, I was, they were not going to get away. And actually one of the guys uh, uh, that what I was working with there, that we were sending proposals back and forth. I, he, at one point laughed and he said, you, he's like, you have big balls, man. I think is what he said specifically, because <laughs> I was just not going to let, I mean, I was following up like crazy. I was bold. I was confident. I was like, give you know, whatever it took. I was never, I, I was not going to let them consider anybody else. I was going to get that contract or I was going to get that contract. That's it. And that, Fortunately, I was as hell bent on getting it. And then we crushed. I mean, we the preparation that I put into it and that I just really, you know, got the right crew in place and like we had everything meticulously lined up. And I mean, we crushed it. We nailed it. It was the first installation job that they personally had not had to go back, hire a separate crew and clean up their mess. And so at that point forward, they're like, we've got gold with these guys and we're going to just run with them. So that, that, that alone, I mean, our reputation at that point got out there, but, but absolutely was a massive commitment uh, and crazy amounts of dedication to making that work. Chris, I love in that story, how it starts with really, so our logo for, for the entrepreneur adventure is, is some mountain peaks and valleys mm -hmm. is that that all started in a valley moment. There you were, you mentioned it's, it's Kim's birthday. You're there. You can't buy your meal, her meal, your brother's got to right. do it. And it's just like, there's just something in those moments. And I'm sure you remember it vividly as you talk about it, that right. create this thing in you it's that fight or flight deal. I really believe yeah, it is. it's either like, screw this crap. I'm going back to work or it's like you said, I will, I'm going to rise up and win or I'm going to rise up and win. There's no, right. There's nothing else exists except me going and figuring out a way to dominate. And it took a long time. It took months and months and months, but sure. you position yourself for the opportunity when it was presented. There's a really important roadblock that I'd like to mention that I don't often bring up when I tell the story that I think your audience would really, really benefit from. But you guys may be familiar, beginning of 2012, the state of Georgia passed what they call the super speeder law, right? So basically what it states is that if you're going over 50, I think it's, don't quote me specifically on the, on, on, you know, how it works, but I believe it's over 55 on a state road or over 85 on an interstate highway. And what that basically means is that if you go over those parameters uh, and even, even 86 on the highway instead of 85, you basically would then qualify for an additional fine. Uh, that, that would come after you paid your speeding ticket. So basically you go pay your speeding ticket and, and, and you, you, or it's an acknowledgement of guilt. The state, it's then forwarded to the state. The state then sends an additional fine, which was categorized as a super speeder fine, right? So unbeknownst to me, I went to go meet Kim's family. It was actually 2011, I apologize. 2011 is when this law was enacted, like January, 2011. 
May of 2011, right? So I'm still in my job. I don't think I fully quit yet. Or it was somewhere around this time. I'm probably getting my timelines mixed up, but you get the point. Went to go meet Kim's family. I'm in a red rental car. I knew the minute they gave me a red rental car to go meet her family in Miami. They live in Puerto Rico. We were meeting them in Miami because they were something they were doing for work there. I get pulled over. I was doing like 87 and 85, right? Well, in the meantime, college kids, college town, right? I'm still a young man. So you move around a lot, right? So I paid the fine because that's what responsible human beings do. Well, here's the deal. They sent the super speeder. I had moved in the interim basis, never received that in the mail. They do not, the government will, and this is important for people to know this, the government, they will not forward government and mail. They just won't do it. So I never got the notification about the super speeder additional fine, never paid that, obviously. My license was suspended. I had no idea. So February of 20, I guess 2013. So I guess I was wrong. 2012 to 2013. Anyways, it doesn't matter. Bottom line is before License has been, I'm driving for six months. I had no idea my license is suspended, right? Website starts in November by February. So this is like, this is like a month and a half before I got this big opportunity for this contract, this installation contract, right? I get pulled over. I'm coming, I'm turning on to, uh, off of uh, Barnett Shoals. I'm turning on to, I guess, Broad to go downtown, right? Get pulled over. I didn't think it's a big deal. I thought, oh, I must have, you know, whatever, done whatever. He didn't follow me for a while. He says, Mr. Harris, uh, can you please step out of the car? He said, I'm placing you under arrest for suspended license. I'm like, what? Suspended what? So I'm like, I have the receipt. Let me show you. I paid this fine. And he said, it's the super, I'm arresting you for, for lack of payment on a super speeder violation. So I'm in jail, literally in, in, in Clark County jail for like 10, 12 hours. I'm here I am sitting here. And not only was I, you know, at this point, the website was already trending up. So I did have a glimmer of hope. I knew things were trending upward. We were number one overall. We were starting to get business and so on. But I was still very broke, right? So the, like the full, the, the fruits of my labor had yet to really fully come, come to terms at this point. And I'm sitting there and there was a young, young guy in there. He was a college kid at this point. He was probably a couple years younger than me. He was like finishing up with school and he's in the holding cell with me and he's like crying, like my life is over, this and that. And I was able to really like kind of, it's funny, I should have been upset and I was actually like helping him get through that moment. <laughs> but anyways, my point is this, uh, and this is why I think it's so important for people to know this. I don't know what it is, but it's like, for whatever reason, right when you're about to turn the corner, you always hit like your this really ridiculous obstacle, right? Like I'm a man of faith. So to me, it's like the devil just trying to stop you from what you're about to accomplish or what God's about to do for your life. But in that moment, I think about that when I look back and I'm like, you know, most people would have said, that's it. This is ridiculous. Like I'm spending the money. I'm spending the night in jail. I got suspended license. I'm doing like, this is crazy. Like, this is ridiculous. I need you to get a job and live a normal life, right? Like go back to the nine. Just, it's fine. Just settle. Just, just do it. You love this girl. Give her the life she deserves. And I was thinking about it. I was like, had I done that, I would have missed out on that big opportunity. And that was literally like a month and a half before that installation contract came through. And to be even more uh, uh, elaborate on that, there was like a period where I had to like work through and you know, get this, get the, the state to give my license back because my license was not. So if I'm running a moving company without a driver's license for like a month, a month and a half. So I'm having to have guys and pay them to come in to drive me around to do things and come up with all these elaborate reasons about why. Oh, hey, like my car's doing this really or that. Good, or I can't man. Drive. He's got a chauffeur. Look at him, man. He's, he's like, yeah, no, so, I had to have no license. But part of that was <laughs> when I was quoting the, the installation job to begin with was I, I didn't have, didn't have the, the license. So Anyways, it, it was a, a, a rip-roaring experience, and I certainly don't recommend people have to go to those lengths to make their business come true, but I just want to highlight that because I feel like a lot of people, they tell you about how great and wonderful their journey was, but as you can see, that is certainly not the case at all. It was quite the contrary. And for you, man, so your business scaled very quickly, and again, I think that you would, that if, when you're looking back, you would say, 
that hustling grind culture, like you just 100% bought into that idea of like, you just, you just work, 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 you go after it. And so you did, you put forth a lot of effort, a lot of work ethic showcased in what you were doing, um, paid a health price as a result of it. It did. And like walk us through a little bit of your journey there as the cleaning, or excuse me, as the moving company uh, scaled to kind of crazy heights. Yeah. And then kind of where it went from there. Yeah. So that's tough because uh, once we hit, once we start getting to them to, you know, the low seven figure range, we realized like to do what we were doing and kind of the idea was to continue to expand that concept. And we wanted to start acquiring old retail stores, you know, like your typical Piggly Wigglies and big lots and, you know, one man's trash is another man's treasure. So we wanted a retrofit for self for climate controlled self storage and be able to do our moving things that we were doing, but have self storage because it was a more consistent business, not as seasonal as moving is. Uh, but then also use that back area that they had for layaway for the installation work we were getting. So they could ship it and rather than hold it at one centralized location, distribute from there, they could actually, if we had local presence at all these places we were doing installation work, we could actually hold it in their layaway space and turn the furniture on an as needed basis because it was a really rip roaring process. So we had, that's a huge undertaking to do all that. Right. And eventually we wanted to go direct to the actual manufacturers overseas and just cut the, the people we were working out with as middlemen in the States. That was like the grand vision we had which was quite ambitious. I recognize that now. Uh, but anyways, the bottom line is, is that we knew it was going to require capital, right? The cash flow management was more than I could bear. I think I spent the majority of 2014 literally just managing cash flow. I say 95% of my time was managing cash flow. At no time to build a business. It was just like, I, like I, like I can't, I literally have guys out on the road. And if I don't get, if we don't collect payment or if we don't come up with funding in some way, it's not that we weren't making money. It's that they have terms of net 30 or net 60, and sometimes that turns into net 120 because they'll just pay when they feel like it, right? So I'm owed $400,000 like all the time. I mean, it, that was not uncommon to be owed three dollars to $400,000. It makes it really tough for a startup small business owner to make bills. Uh, and not to mention when you're funding guys that are doing you know, project type basis where they're on the road, they're in hotels, they require food, they have rental cars, they have all these various expenses. So anytime, you know, things could happen, they don't get paid. And I got a bunch of parents calling me because these are young men. These are college students effectively calling me saying, hey, what the hell? You've got my kid in Idaho. And he told me today that he has no way of getting food. What the hell? You know, he hasn't gotten paid. You know, so a lot, a lot of stress with, with that. Bottom line is we, we started our Series A. I pitched 725 investors in three months. I mean, I've never. 725. I have the list. I have the Rolodex of investors. That's how many I wow. pitched in three months. Now, keep in mind, I'm going to get to the health part because this was in the middle of the health crisis at this point. So I knew th things were, were looking pretty rough, like in terms of just our ability to be able to continue to expand this without funding. Uh, the, second, the second part of that that made it a challenge was the, the, the state of Georgia, Georgia Department of Public Safety showed up at our office uh, in, in January of 2016. And they basically said, look, we're no longer allowing moving companies like yourself to operate with rental trucks. You need to have a USDOT number. You need to have a state number. And that requires you to have a fleet of trucks. Well, problem is, is that having a fleet of trucks, is not just the investment in buying a truck. You can find a truck for $20,000. That, that's not a huge issue. You could finance that. There's various things you could do. It's the fact that you have to get into a standard market for insurance first. Getting into a standard market when you're a young business, you've only been in business for three years, is really tough to do. So finding somebody to do that and underwrite that policy, you're probably looking at about $120,000 because they're going to require that up front. So in our case, that's exactly what it was. They wanted $120,000 for us to get into a general standard market for work comp, right? In order to do that, no one would, no one would basically provide insurance on the truck until we were in the standard market. So I've got to have work comp, then the truck insurance, then the truck itself. Bottom line, it was going to be like a $200,000 investment, right? In the meantime, 
Georgia Department of Public Safety says, you can't operate until you get this done. Literally gave us a cease and desist. I was on vacation in Puerto Rico seeing my in-laws. We got a cease and desist. I don't know what to do. So I'm sourcing out jobs to literally companies that are doing the exact same thing. They're just going and renting a truck. But since I got hooked, they, they pinged me. Um, I can't do anything about it. So I'm sourcing it out and I'm taking a very small percentage of those jobs, which is killing me because I've got a lot of overhead, right? So I took a, a bridge loan while I'm raising funding. Again, pitched all those investors, stuff like that. I'm, I'm already in the process of expanding. I moved to Atlanta. That was going to be our, our Southeast hub that other locations are going to report to other, the, you know, the, the feeder locations were going to, were going to be supported by the Atlanta location. So that was my goal, set up the first hub. Anyways, by May of that year, I started getting really sick. Like I, my energy was just gone. And I just, I, I just couldn't, I realized it wasn't running on fumes. Running on fumes was like two years prior to that, right? Like there was just literally nothing there. Um, I got to the point where I literally, and I don't mean to be gross or TMI, but I literally could not have a movement, meaning, you know, number two action. Um, I think like once a month, maybe twice a month without the, without heavy cleansers, right? Like just wasn't happening. I was just not happening. So finally, Kim, whom was the girlfriend is now the wife. She says, I heard about this group in Atlanta called Progressive Medical Center. I think you should go check them out. So I said, fine, it's worth it. They, we did $2,000 worth of labs. They come back and say, hey, bud, you've had something going on, a chronic illness for a long time. You probably just didn't know about it. You've been misdiagnosed with these other things. But bottom line is this, your labs, you're, you're a disaster. Like you're an absolute disaster. We've not seen somebody with gut in this kind of condition, meaning my digestive system in this kind of condition or your age uh, in like 35 years of practice. Like you were absolutely the worst. Like you're trending towards the C word, right? Really quickly. Uh, and probably at this pace, and I know that they know, like I was a horse and I'm not going to slow down. So I can tell the doctor picked up on that. He's like, by 40 or 50, that, that you probably will be gone if you keep operating the way you are, right? Not, not stuff you want to hear from your doctor. So now I really ramp it up. And that was at the point that was May. So by, that was when I went crazy pitching. So I pitched like from that point forward for the rest of that summer, that's what I did. I pitched investors. So it was my full-time thing. I pitched 725 investors. doesn't mean I got on the phone with 725 investors. It means that I contacted 725 investors, some of which I got in touch with, some of which I got email correspondence with. But bottom line is I pitched 725 investors between May and like September. So question for you right here. Yeah. All right. From a mindset standpoint, was this still a back against the wall, I got to bring us out of this? Or did yeah. you have some ambition and vision of, I want to own a Fortune 500 company, or I want to own a $100 million uh, installation company? What was your mindset pushing you to those levels during all this process? Yeah, so it really was uh, just seize, like I knew what the opportunity was in that space. I knew okay. that we could easily be a $50 million company because the opportunity was there. Like I'd analyzed the industry so much that I knew we could be the player in that industry like i absolutely knew that my even to this day i literally will sometimes i wake up and i'm like that you know that would work somebody still needs to do that like my my vision needs to be needs to be accomplished uh, because that is what's missing in that space 100 so that's really what was driving it uh and then really too and if i'm being totally totally candid i also think at that point i i i had um i had wrapped up my identity in being a successful startup entrepreneur mm, yeah Right. Like that was a big thing. And so it was yeah. like, it, it was like, I can't lose that because that's, that's who I am, you know? And even to this day still, it's like, it, it was, it was a very tough journey to overcome, you know, like this was the one thing I felt like there's many things I'm really good at in my life and I'm not, you know, trying to be boastful, but I've excelled in many ways, but this was like the one place that I felt like I really belonged. And I was like, Chris, the sex, the, the successful entrepreneur, like that was who I was. So it was part of that too. 
and just not wanting to fail. Like, I, you know, I just didn't, you know, when you have employees that you care about and you're doing something you feel is profound in the world, you, you want to fight for that. I think a lot of people were surprised, you know, mentors and coaches and friends. I think they just thought that I was going to pull us out of it because I, I had before so many times. Like, they, I don't think they took it seriously when I was telling them, like, things are dire. Like, things aren't good. The state's shutting us down. Like, I have to go find $200,000 just to operate, not to keep going, not, not to grow, just to keep operating. I have to find two hundred k. not to mention the expansion costs and everything else, plus the salaries that I need because I can't keep doing what I'm doing because I just got this nasty diagnosis. And the doctors are telling me if I keep being the glue of the engine and everything, it's over, right? So really, really tough situation. And then by September, and this was like God, basically, you know, God, the universe, whatever you believe in, this was God saying like, this is it. This is not my plan for you anymore. Maybe it was my plan, but it's not my plan for you anymore. But August of 2016, we, uh, we had got to the point, and I don't say this with any, any sort of pride, but, uh, but we had got to the point where I had to just disregard the cease and desist. I'm like, I can't keep operating and miss out on harvest season, which is the summer in the moving business. You just can't. If you miss that, you don't make it. You just don't. So we made a calculated risk, took a calculated risk to just start doing business the way we were doing it before. Thank the good Lord uh, in many ways. But our guys were involved in a motor vehicle accident coming back from Florida. It was a job to Orlando. They're coming back. They're on the turnpike. They got an accident. I got a phone call from, from at that point, my, my, my right-hand man. And he said, um, hey, are you sitting? I was like, shit. So basically, yeah, they're, they, when he says they're using the jaws of life, Guys have been in an accident. They're using the jaws of life to get the other people out. And they're going to air flight them to the hospital. And here I am thinking like, okay, my work comp just expired because I couldn't afford it. I'm, out, I'm going against the law in the state of Georgia at this point. You know, I'm not supposed to be doing this. I got USDOT approval, but not state of Georgia. I'm thinking immediately I'm going to jail. I mean, I'm having, at this point, I'm having panic attacks on a regular. Like on my hands and knees, praying to God for mercy. Literally, please help me on a regular multiple times a day. I mean, I've never been so into scripture, just praying. I go for walks, just begging God to out audibly, not in my head, audibly. Like people thought I was crazy, probably walking around audibly talking to God. Like, I need you to help me with this. I can do it. It was miserable, but it was like, I couldn't just shut it down and turn the, like I had, you know, like, I guess suppose I could, but here's the deal. I'd taken a bridge loan and that money I needed to pay back those people was a hundred thousand dollars. And so it's like, I, 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 I dug my hole and I put a lid over it. So I couldn't even get out if I wanted to, right? I just, there was no way to go, but just down with the ship. Like I was going down with the Titanic. It just had to, I just had to, I had to. So anyway, so when that accident happens, my attorney calls and he, I, I told him what happened. He was like, he had known, we had, he was one of the people we had talked to about making this decision to go against the, the, the law in Georgia, what have you. He's like, I can't tell you what to do, but I wouldn't do it if I were you. I did it anyways. So anyways. He's like, the moving company is officially closed when I told him that because he's like, now we're in defense mode because you're going to get you're, you're going to get sued left and right because of the accident and everything else that's going on. You're like, it's time to prepare to defend yourself. So the moving company was effectively closed. I drove to Orlando immediately. I probably just like, cried the whole way, honestly, for seven, eight hours all the way to Orlando. Um, see these cars. I mean, honestly, God, if I show you the pictures, you'd be like, how in the good there's I have no idea how these people survived. I've. It's horrendous. I didn't want to get some of them have injuries that are going to last their entire lives. Like, I mean, it was horrible. Like their, their truck went under their pickup truck went under our moving truck effectively. And it smashed the car down over their heads and their heads went through the glass and scraped the side of our moving truck, scraped their skin off their face. That's how bad it was. It was horrendous. Uh, there was a, we, fortunately we had the biggest policy that budget truck would offer, which was a million dollars. And they had a million dollar settlement that, that literally the entire million dollars was paid out. 
So that helped us. Had we not done that, it would be a different story. My guys were untouched. They had no, they didn't have a scratch on their bodies. I don't know how. They were driven off the road. They told me we missed big trees by by a matter of inches coming off the road when the when that truck hit hit our truck. Horrible stuff. Horrible stuff. So that was one thing down. Then I got the lawsuit coming because now I had a bridge loan with an acquaintance that, of course, he wants his money back. So then now they're suing me personally. They're sending uh, letters to my family, you know, family members saying, hey, we're going to, you know, report this to the FBI and all this stuff. And he lied to us and all these accusations. It was like the complaint was like 12 pages long of all these various complaints of, I mean, it was ridiculous. You thought I was Al Capone. I mean, it was ridiculous, the stuff they're claiming in there. It was absolutely ridiculous. You were the Al Capone of the moving business for a little bit, though, man. Jeez, apparently so. So anyway, so here I am. I'm, I'm basically at this point just like, you know, sick beyond belief. I mean, not, I mean, just in a bad place, right? Moving company is gone. Dream is dead. Uh, people suing me. Got the accident. Those people are probably going to sue me, too. Right. So I'm so now I got all these lawsuits. I'm starting from scratch and I have no energy to do it. And I'm just completely depleted. I'm emotionally drained. I'm spiritually drained. I'm physically drained. Just everything's just done. And I'm like, why did God bring me this far to fall so hard? I mean, I didn't just fall on my face. I, my face. I like somebody took a jackhammer and slammed my face into the ground. Right. Like it was horrible. So that I, I just had to do something. Like I couldn't just not do anything. Right. I'm going to have to do something. I can't just sit here. So while this process is playing out and Fortunately, litigation takes a long time. If anybody's in a situation where they experience litigation, just know that those wheels turn so slowly, like you have years to acquiesce. You have years to prepare for that. So I was like, okay, well, here's what we can do. So fortunately, my wife, Kim, she launched what is now the Business Lounge around the same time. And, and the craziest thing is, on the way to Florida to deal with that accident, she's on her laptop because she was getting ready to launch the Business Lounge. That is a true story. She's sitting there in the passenger seat next to me, driving to Florida, we're both crying like crazy. And she's finishing the final touches to the business lounge because she had fired all of her clients and moved into providing, you know, online training instead of, you know, hands-on management. And I told her, I'm like, we got a million dollars coming in. Cause at this point I had confirmation, I had commitment letters from investors. I'm like, we got it, baby. You just do your thing. Fire your clients. Do you? And it's like, oh God, we actually needed those clients now. Hmm. So we launched that. Thank God. And I think she landed like her first 70 to 80 members. It was like, okay, at least our basics are covered, right? At least like we can pay for food and this and that. We moved out of the city. We moved, you know, closer to where I grew up in Peachtree City. And, and we just kind of were licking our wounds, so to speak. So I'm like, what do I do? I can't just sit around. Anyways, so the podcast, I was like, somebody could benefit from all these things I'm experiencing, right? Like somebody could. So I just started recording my conversations and I read Nathan Latka wrote a blog around how to get trending status and get noteworthy on iTunes. and so. Uh, so I did that. So I did everything he said. And um, next thing you know, uh, my show is in the top five, top 10 on business, health and education, new and noteworthy. So I'm going from like, hey, I got five downloads today to like, holy shit, I got 10,000 downloads this morning. Hmm. Uh, we use that to land guests like Damon John, Barbara Corcoran, actually it was three of the Shark Tanks, Kevin Harrington as well. Uh, Grant Cardone, Guy Kawasaki, Marie Forleo. I mean, the list is, is Jack Canfield. I mean, the list is uh, like, I, I hate mentioning names. Because I literally will forget somebody that is of significance and, and of you know huge importance to my life and my journey that I'm blessed to be able to call a friend at this point, right? Um, so that just kind of launched this where people were just really jiving with what I was talking about uh, and then started doing a lot of coaching, got involved with the, the tech space here in Austin, decided to move, just start fresh. We just needed a fresh start. Moved to Austin, knew this was an entrepreneurial environment. I had been here a lot for installation work, loved the city, loved the vibe, loved the entrepreneurial spirit, uh, came here coaching, tech, doing stuff with my wife with TBL. We grew TBL. I think there's 35,000 monthly students now in her programs. And so we just 
we just didn't look back. We just rose from the ashes to a lot of degrees. We just rose ourselves back up and we've been redeeming ourselves ever since. And I've been on this five-year journey now of reclaiming my health and I just got my labs back. And um, if you compare the labs in 2016 to the labs here the last month, you'd say you were looking at two different people. I mean, I look 10 years younger than I actually am. And, and the labs that I received initially, I looked like I was 75 years old. So it's like, it's just been a complete role reversal in terms of where I'm at with my health. I feel better than I felt in my life. I'm doing the most exciting things I've ever done. I'm contributing in ways I never thought that I would. Uh, but yeah, so that's in a very long nutshell. That's, um, that's kind of how everything played out. What a crazy story, man, of just, uh, triumph and obstacles and getting beat down over and over and over and having the courage and just perseverance to to get back up and and again even there in the final uh parts of that story it's still you still weren't in a place where okay now i'm gonna get a nine to five it's the nope how do i figure out how to make this work i am an entrepreneur we right. can figure this out let's continue to show back up and find new opportunities man it's so that takes amazing perseverance and courage. It's, it's so cool to hear. Yeah. To say I never thought about a nine to five, it would be a lie. Uh, when the movie <laughs> okay, company went yeah. down, you know, I was like, okay, I'll Uber, I'll do whatever I have to do. And I did that for a while. And thank God I was very fortunate to be in this with my wife and her business started to really take off. And I just invested myself in that. But, you know, we, we just made a decision. We said, look, we've done it before. You did it before you have experience. You'll do it again. Like right now your investment is in your health because we got to save your life. Right. So going to a job was just going to prolong that. And I did. I interviewed with several companies and, you know, I, I actually got a couple of job offers. I got an offer to, to manage, uh, be a manager at an Orange Theory. It was like $48,000 a year, but it was like six days a week. You got to be there five in the morning, stuff like that. I'm like, and Kim just looked at me. She was like, Chris, at one point in time, you were generating that in like four days. You, you did that with your buddy hustling clothes at Saks Fifth Avenue when you were in college, which is a whole nother story, which was an amazing story. But flipping clothes on Black Friday from Saks Fifth Avenue, we made $84,000 in two weeks. She was like, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense for you to go take that unless you just don't want to do this anymore. And I was like, you know, the beautiful thing about all this, and I say this now, people are going to listen to this and be like, oh my God, this is like the poster child for never be an entrepreneur. Like, I don't ever want to have to go through any of that, right? But here's the deal. You know who you are and you just have, like entrepreneurship is not a career, it's a lifestyle. This is who I am. Like, I don't have another option. This is literally who I am. And maybe people will be like, that's ridiculous. Like you could totally be that. And it's like, sure, I could. Sure, I could say, yeah, I'm going to not pursue who I am and just disregard that and be miserable because I'm not pursuing who I am as a person. But I'm just going to do this. But also, here's the other thing. I think this is really important. No story is worth a shit telling. Excuse my language, but it's worth it. It's worth it in this instance. Unless you've gone through hell to, to, to have some kind of major triumph, right? And the other thing is this. God, the universe, whatever divine, infinite wisdom you believe in, only trust you with what you can handle. It's obvious that the Lord above trusts me with a lot. And more importantly, if you flip it on its, on its head, right? If you, you, this major paradigm shift here, right? I could focus on me and be like, oh, poor me, I lost my business, I'm sick, I can't do it. Okay, great, that's fine, whatever. It's important to have that moment, and I did. I sulked for like a year. I was suicidal, I was all those things in a very, very dark place, like taking my trash out. To the dumpster was a big day for me at, for, for about a year. 2017, that was my year, right? It was maybe I take the trash out today. Maybe I go to Kroger today. Like that was it. That was all I did, right? Outside of just recording podcasts. And I mean, I, people can't see us if they're listening, but like, I remember I recorded my episode with Damon John and I'm like this, I felt horrible. I'm like leaning on my, my arm. I'm like, oh God, like I barely got through it. That's how, that's how bad my health was. But here's the deal. Just last week, I had somebody reach out 
many people reach out to this and they've heard, you know, this story, they've heard my health journey, they've heard this, and they're in a similar place. They're like, I am suicidal. I don't know what's wrong with me. I feel horrible. I just got this diagnosis. I just got these labs. I just lost my business. I just this, I just that, it's this. They'd be off at the same time. And God will use you to be a beacon of hope and light to other people if you allow it to happen. So the worst thing that ever happened in my life so far, right? The worst thing ever happened is literally going to be the biggest blessing to hopefully thousands and thousands of people at some point in my life. If I allow that to happen, if I keep moving down that path, if I give up and I say, eh, I'm just going to go get that, take that job at Orange Theory. Well, okay. He's a failed entrepreneur, right? Okay. Well, he went and got a job and that's the end of, you know, end of story, right? No, no, no. You have to keep pushing. You have to trust that there's a plan. And I knew now here's the deal. If God's closing that door and he's like, dude, you're not an entrepreneur. Like I'm, I'm, I'm ending this because you're not an entrepreneur. <laughs> then you listen to what God is leading you to. But I just knew, I just knew like there's just some, God is closing this door because there's another one he's trying to open. And I just have to get beside myself and say, look, you, you, you're an idiot. You don't know what you're doing. You got yourself into this mess. Follow, follow God. Because honestly, if I kept following God, when, when the moving company grew to half a million dollars, when we got to half a million, then I started doing my own thing. Like God opened this massive door and then I just was like, all right, thanks. See you, bud. And then sent a postcard. I'll send you a postcard when I get there. I stopped listening. I just did my own thing, right? So I have really learned so many lessons. I'm so much better for it. I've grown in ways that are unimaginable. It's, it's the whole, you know, what, what, how do you make a diamond, right? It's pressure, right? It's being under just immense, intense pressure. And I'm not certainly not saying I'm, not, I'm a diamond. I'm not saying that. But I feel like in, in, in many ways, it has been the moment of defining uh, my character, who I become, my journey, the launching point from everything I do from this point forward. And if I'm really being candid, it's starting to reveal itself to be the biggest blessing not curse, the biggest blessing of my life, which is crazy to say, but it's true. That's amazing. And, and I guess that's where your story and, and you and Kim started working together in the online and the tech space. Mm -hmm. And was that something that you naturally just saw a progression opportunity there? Or is that something that through what she was growing and doing through her courses and different things you were able to plug into? How did you pivot so quickly into that online space at the time? Yeah, so it really helped that she was already doing that. I, she always says this. I, I was brought from her. She says, clarity doesn't strike, it unfolds, right? And so mm -hmm. we yeah. were just so immersed. And we go all in on things, as you can tell, right? And so <laughs> oh, we, yeah. just saw, we just saw that there was a huge opportunity. We saw digital marketing really taking off. We saw online business really taking off. Info products were exploding. Uh, I think it almost, I think in, in some years from year, to, year one to year two, it was like six, 2016 to 2017, it doubled in size in terms of the amount of money spent on info products online. So we saw that happening. We knew that was a direction she should go. It was more for me, like my integration into it was more, this is what Chris can offer right now. Like, yeah, I, I, I can't go hustle. I can't go build another moving company because my life, my, my, my full-time job was my health. My life was at stake. My literal, I, I cannot understate that my, or overstate that rather. My, my life was at stake. Right? And, and we didn't want to go the pharmaceutical route. Um, I was 29 years old. I'm not, I'm not ready to take pharmaceutical drugs. And, and I'm not here to slam the Western medicine. I'm not. I think there's a, there's a, a rhyme and a reason and a place for everything, right? And, but I, I've watched my father. My father has Crohn's disease. And so I, a lot of this was, was hereditary. You know, a lot of it was, you know, my health condition was, was through what I went through, not just from there, but all the way back to childhood. We kind of have been able to track all the, the do's and don'ts of health and what that actually looks like. Um, but 
I've seen him struggle with the prednisone, with the steroids, with this, with the, with the, with the flare-ups, with you can't eat this, you can't do that. And I'm just like, I, I'm 29. I don't want that life already. That's crazy. So we had a small window where it was like we could address this and reverse it. You can always uh, reverse things. I say that. But there gets to a point in time, a certain age, where it, it kind of is what it is. And then you've yeah. got other issues that start to manifest, you know, neurological conditions and stuff like that to start to manifest. So we knew I had a very, very small window of time. But to answer your question, um, just – I wanted to help Kim. It was like, how do, how do I, what can I do to monetize something? And at that point I was like my wisdom, right? I could be a knowledge worker for Kim. I can be her chief advisor. I can help her navigate growth because we started to see her business was taking off. Okay. I've been here. I've done this. I've hired people. Let me handle your hiring. Let me train people. I've done training before. Right? Like, and then the podcast was a passion project that just kind of kept taking off, but I didn't even launch my own actual courses until like a year ago. And then now we're kind of, you know, putting this whole new spin on it and kind of expanding those offerings when I now have the energy to do so but I've really focused on um, first helping her. You know, that was my first priority, help help her do her thing. And for all intents and purposes, I wanna make sure this is abundantly clear. I couldn't train my dog to go build what she's built, right? It's just not possible, right? So I'm not sitting here saying, I wave my magic wand on Kim and then Kim is successful. Like, that's not what I'm saying. Kim is a badass in her own right. I was able to help her and assist her in many ways, but she would have done what she did with or without me, right? I played whatever role I could in her success, but I'm certainly not the reason for her success. And I take no credit in that whatsoever. Um, but yeah, so she started taking off and I just was like, what can I do? So I was involved with their Q and A's, help with this, help with that, help where I could, uh, and then focus on my health. And that's got you to a spot, Chris, where, so again, you're, you're a creator. That's what you just basically you've told us over your career here from mm -hmm. the time you're an elementary school student to, to now you create opportunity. And so you, again, you started a podcast when you were sick, but you still had that like exercise that, that creator muscle yeah. that you have. And that's kind of what you're doing these days is you're able to build things and create products, opportunities, education for the younger Kim, for the younger Chris, they can say, Hey, if you're, if you're a startup person, if you're that person who doesn't want to go like live the nine to five again, nothing against them. But if that's just not in your DNA, then you started developing opportunities for those people, right? For that younger Chris, for that younger Kim, can you tell us a little bit about what you're doing? Yeah. These days? Yeah, that's, I mean, that's a thing. You just nailed it on the head. It's, it's, um, you know, the, the failure rate in entrepreneurship is just so tremendously high. Um, and there's so many opportunities out there. If you just, and people, and, and I think that, you know, we live in the age of information and that's, that's a blessing, right? But you know what though? And in a lot of ways, I say this often, I don't know that I would have had the same degree or the same acceleration of growth with the moving company. If I had all these distractions that we have today, there was a lot to be said about me just being a pioneer and just getting after it. I think a lot of us stay in professional learning mode or we get distracted by all these fancy bells and whistles. It's like, well, I've got to have 50,000 Instagram subscribers or followers. It's like, do you really, do you really, is that a, is that a requisite prerequisite for success in business is having a bunch of Instagram followers or having a bunch of subscribers on YouTube? No, it's not. Like I went back and I, I actually put together a webinar right now for, for startup launch factor, which is a new program coming out with. And, uh, and I'm, and I'm showing all of our collective with the moving company, all of our collective, you know, follower accounts. I think I had like 900 on Facebook total. We made millions of dollars, millions of dollars. I had 900 fans on Facebook. That was it. And I think Twitter had like 300. So all those 1,200 people. And it's not like I'm just doing B2B. I mean, we move thousands of individuals, right? And so I, I just think that people were, and, and social media is just one example. That's just one example of distractions that we have, right? So, so we help people discern Here's the stuff that matters, right? The fundamentals of business. 80%, this is actually a study, this is a legitimate study, show that 80% that, that 
80% of any business, there's overlap. It's the 20% of, uh, of trade-specific stuff that makes businesses different. But the 80% is the core foundation of any business. So we teach the foundational principles that make any business work. Any, make any, and then using technology to enhance those efforts, not to be the reason of those efforts, not to, to monetize directly from those various platforms, those whatever it is they're trying to do, those direct strategies, but to use them to your benefit after you've gotten the foundational principles in place, which sounds boring, but the people that execute on it, I mean, there's something to be said about it. But before we were both, my, I hit a million before I was like 27, 28, and Kim hit a million before she was 30. So we've done it twice, both bootstrapped. Obviously, whatever it is that we're doing, uh, and now we've helped other people do it as well, and we're working on our third seven-figure build at the moment. So it's like, okay, obviously we're doing something right here. How do we teach people how to do that? How do we teach them to kind of cut through the noise? And so that's really what we focus on, like strategies to grow your online business, which is a huge opportunity specifically for people that want to have their cake and eat it too. Meaning if I'm a mom and I've got a child and I want to go work, I, I, want, to, I, I want to be involved. I want to have a life. I want to be an adult. I want to have a life. I want to provide for my family. All those various things, not to mention the cost of living, you know, and everything's just going crazy. Well, great. I can have a business work from home, take care of my child, work in my pajamas for my home office. Beautiful, right? I'm still contributing. I still feel like I'm moving forward with my career, my life, and so on and so forth. So we experience a lot of that. We get a lot of people that just want to build a business. They want to do it from the comfort of their own home. And they want to build what is amazing because there's no, I mean, going from the moving company where you have so much overhead, you have overhead for your overhead to an online business where it's like, hey, I can literally get a microphone, sit in my closet and get a webcam or just use it. And I can make content that I make money off of like for real. And I can just use knowledge that I have and people pay for that. So it's just unbelievable that opportunity. But yeah, answer your question again. I'm being really long-winded with my answers here. Uh, that's what we do. We help people go from womb to tomb, how to come up with an idea, how to find a market, a proven market you can make money in, and then how to, uh, to supplement your income and beyond doing that. Man, that's so awesome. Because <laughs> again, I could think about me and Chad talk about when we started the podcast we started it because when we were young entrepreneurs, there really wasn't, there weren't a whole lot of podcasts. Right. But I started following right. a guy back then, and you probably, I just the reason I started listening to this guy's podcast because it was the only, one of the only ones I could find that would resonate at all. But it was mm. Pat Flynn with uh, yeah. Smart Passive Income. Yeah, old Pat. He's a great guy. Like 2007 or something like that. Yeah, but um, he's an OG. Yeah, man, he really is. Like he, he really has been doing it forever. But mm. we just didn't have that knowledge that was so readily available you know so right. there was a lot of skin in your knees and having to learn things on your own i think i'll, I'll tell you this this is kind of funny i remember going into this place uh not a podcast but it was called the like, global cleaning association forum it's like this old school like yeah. chat room type deal and it was mm. so antiquated but i was just mm. trying to find whatever i could to get any type of knowledge that could help me succeed or win so to see what you guys are doing now uh, with both with you and Kim and, and separate yeah. entities, but with your startup launch factory to be able to create that yeah. avenue of learning and and not just the learning, but like, no, look, like come to us. We're going to help you identify what you can do, how to yeah. do it and getting those 80%. Like you said, I mean, gosh, it, you got to get your systems in place. One of my favorite yeah. quotes I've picked up the last couple of years is James clear saying, you don't rise to the level of your goals. You fall to the level of your systems and how true that is in business. That you can get true. a system true. in place. So I love what you guys are doing with that. Thank you. So Chris, wrapping us up here, man, take that guy. Let's go back to um, the younger versions and maybe of all of us. If you could offer just something that they can take with them, because you know there's, there's going to be the highs and lows, right? There's going to be the peaks 
in the valleys, part of the entrepreneur adventure is all of those things. Mm -hmm. What kind of like lasting counsel or advice, if you could just give one thing to stick with uh, to these entrepreneurs, they can carry with them as so they don't, they, they don't give up in the hard times and they don't give in in the, in the big times where they get, you know what I'm saying? Where they get complacent. I, what can yeah, you share with I, us to kind of close this out for today for our entrepreneur audience? Yeah, I think it's an important question. Um, I think we really, I, I do an exercise with people and I have them tell me, okay, what's the unit cost of what you sell? All right. And they're like, oh, it's $35. I'm like, okay, what's your, what's your target milestone for what you want to generate? Ah, I want to make six figures. Okay. I got, I created this little spreadsheet. This is inside of, of, of Startup Launch Factory, actually. My, my flagship program inside of Startup U, which is kind of the brand of my online businesses, uh, or online business rather. Um, and so they tell, okay, 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 you, it's $35. Okay, here, how many units do you need to sell a month? You know, hundreds of units. Like, oh my God, there's so many. Okay, well, let's break it down to weeks. How many do you have to sell for a week? And then literally in this spreadsheet, it'll show you how many units you need to sell. How many a day? It ends up being like six. I'm like, do you think that it's not impossible for you to, if you use your time effectively, to make six sales of a $35 offer? And my math is not airtight on this, by the way. I don't, whatever it ends up being, bottom line is the, 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 the essence of what I'm saying is, is true. So don't go do the math on your calculator and be like, oh, Chris, wrong. No, no, I'm not trying to be specific here, okay? It's an so, example, people. It's an example. Right. So, so we had a we had a student. I remember when I did this exercise, and that's why I built it as a part of what I do. And I she sells um, shout out to her. She does a great job. But she she has a, a product called Down There Skincare, and it's for obviously you can tell. I think the name is perfect. I love her name so it's much. Amazing. It's literally Down There Skincare. So anyway, so she has these bars of soap that you use for those specific regions of your your body, and I think it's like twelve bucks. And so I did this exercise with her. She did. She paid for like private coaching with Kim and I. And it was like, it ended up being like, she had to make like seven sales a day or something like that, or like nine sales a day to make six figures. And I literally like watched her just like her mind was blown, right? I don't think people realize, and this is any business, by the way, this is on or offline. And this is the power of like digital marketing. Now you can develop one ad, one funnel, one offer for one product and make six to seven figures. That is not, you could, and you can ride that for 10 years. If it's working now, you may have to tweak the copy. You may have to put a new image in your ad. You may have to look at your conversions and re-optimize and change the color of a button or whatever, right? You're always constantly improving that, but you're so close and it's so like never in human history has been easier for you to create and scale an offer. So whatever, and, th and that's why I love what Russell Brunson says. He says, you're only, you're only one funnel away, right? And, and it's absolutely true in a lot of ways. And I think we, we get so caught up in the weeds. We try to do too much instead of doing one thing really, really well. Uh, and that's something I've had to go back into and be like, okay, how do I make Startup Launch Factory like the premier course online for people that are looking to exit their job and start a business successfully? Like, how do I do that? And then how do I turn that into like Marie Forleo, her B-School program. I'm an affiliate. Marie's a friend. She's been on my podcast. And I think she's made like $65 million off of one program over the last 12 years, 65 million. And I might be understating that. I think it's 65, I think it's 65,000 customers at 2000. So you, it's actually more than that. I way understate. It's over, I think it's like over hundred million dollars at this point. She's made off of one online program. She sells one time a year. That's it. She doesn't sell evergreen. She opens up every February or March and she sells B school and she has literally made a hundred million dollars. And it's the, every year, it's like the same sales page. She just tweaks the copy 
It's the same mechanics. If you go through her, her, she has a four-part video series that she does to sell the program. It's basically the same thing every year. She re-records it and she makes some modifications, but it's the same script and everything. And she's making $100 million or made $100 million. And she, she lives, she's like the biggest name in the industry and one of the biggest names in the online space. Everybody, most people, if you're in the online space and you don't know who Marie Forleo is, you haven't been in the online space very long. So congratulations. Welcome to the online space, Marie Forleo, right? But I think we really try to do too much. I think we really don't under, we really underestimate how easy it is if you're being pragmatic, if you're being practical and you put all the nonsense aside, you put all the distractions aside, you just sit there and be like, okay, white space. How do I sell this? What do people want that I can offer? And then how do I sell it with consistency? And then how do I develop something and reverse engineer that to put it in their own language in an ad that speaks the language that they actually communicate, which is why I do the, the, the survey I did with you, Josh, because all I'm doing is I record those conversations and I'm going back and listening to them and I'm literally using the words that you guys said in my copy. Why should I have to invent everything? Why should I have to come up with my mind like this brilliant copy because I'm this smart marketer? No, go extract what people actually said and just turn around and give it to them. So I think we make it too hard and then in the, in the backside, we don't realize how easy it is to scale something out. So we just make our lives way too challenging. And then the last part I would say is, again, I'm being long-winded. I'm so sorry. I've, I've been long-winded all day today. I'm just, I'm just on a roll. Um, I like but it. When, it when it. when it comes to you know, your, your mindset, here's my thing. Don't be great every once in a while. Be good every single day. Because some people are great. And then they get distracted and they go do stuff or they're working on this or they get sidetracked or there's this new big opportunity or, hey, somebody thinks they should sell this instead or whatever. And they're just all over the place. They're flip-flopping all over the place. Or they're, you know, they, they lose, they, they're negative one day or this and that. And it's like, no, no, your goal is this. Build success habits. I'm a big fan of habits. I love habits. I, I study habits. I, I, I don't try to, you don't have to have more willpower discipline than anybody else. You don't. That is proven. That's not my opinion. That's proven. Go read the power habit. They literally do studies that show Willpower, discipline are overrated. And the most successful people in the world, they don't have more of it than you do. What they do have are keystone habits that lead to success. If you can incorporate those indoctrinations in your life and be good every single day, working towards a goal, even if you do three things that really move the needle, and that's the three, only three things you do for an entire week, and those are things you work on. I promise you, focus on the one thing, make it really narrowed, make it really focused, focus on one offer, be good every single day, build good habits. You'll succeed at literally anything you do, including entrepreneurship. Dude, that's awesome, man. Chris, it's so funny you said that. I literally had the conversation with my kids this morning on the way to school about being 1% better. Like, hey, could you just be 1% better today than you right. were yesterday? Because over time, like, again, you're just being good then, right? Like, you're being good right. every day. But the process of doing that can, like, over and over and over again leads you to greatness. Like, you become great just by being consistently right. good. So I love what you have to share, man. Tell our, tell our listeners where they can find you, Chris. Yeah, so all of our social media at Hey CMH kept it pretty simple. All social media platforms, Hey CMH, CMH, like my name, Chris Michael Harris. Uh, you can go to HeyCMH.com as well. Check out my website. We're actually revamping everything. Uh, actually, the Startup You page is there. You can go to Get Startup You. We're in the early stages of really finishing out the programs and the offers for what that's going to entail. So you're a little bit early. Uh, I'm just now to the point health-wise where I can sprint again, so I anticipate things rapidly picking up. Um, so check that out for sure. Uh, in the meantime, you can grab my uh, ultimate startup checklist, which is basically a PDF we put together 100% free of charge. Go to USC, like ultimate startup checklist, download.com. That's USC download.com. So you can get that. So you can get the ball rolling. 
uh, in your startup business. I do have a quick ask from your audience, if you guys don't mind. Go for it. Cool. So guys, uh, what Josh and Chad are doing here, I, I don't think you realize like both the financial and time commitment that this really requires. I know I'm doing my podcast for five years. It is a lot. There's so much that goes on. What you see is like the tip of the iceberg as far as what this entails. So I have a quick ask. I would be eternally grateful to you if you would do this for me. It's going to take you literally 27 seconds. Time yourself. I promise you 27 seconds. Go to whatever platform you're listening to. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or whomever, make sure you go and you hit the subscribe button and you also leave them a review. You can just say whatever. You can say, great chat. That's it. That's all you have to say. The reason being is that the algorithms, the way they give you behind the scenes here, if you ever want to start a podcast, behind the scenes of podcast players, the way it works is they don't listen. They don't look for downloads. When you hit top charts, they're looking for two things, subscriber counts, new subscribers, uh, and your actual reviews. If you can nail those two, I have a friend that's done this. Right now, his show's training in the top 100 in the world, and that's a true story. The reason being is he focused on two things, subscribers and reviews. You can focus on those two things. It helps tremendously. Please do me a favor and help Chad and Josh right now to do that. It'll take you 20. You can pause right now. It's going to take you 27 seconds to come back and finish up with this interview. I would be eternally grateful if you would help them out with that. That's amazing, man. Uh, thanks so much for, for educating us on your journey and how you've been able to leverage the online space and courses and things that you're finding so much happiness and success in. I mean, I think that's the ultimate entrepreneur dream is how do I love what I do? How do I become successful and how do I help others? And you've been right. able to merge all of that together, man. And you're even offering value for us right now in, in your last statements there and your last ask and just can't thank you enough for all that you do, all that you share for the relationships we have and, and watching you grow over time has, has been phenomenal, man. And just excited to plug in to, uh, you know, this startup you and what an awesome name, man, the startup mm. launch factory. That's like the coolest entrepreneurial like named I've seen yet uh, oh. of a version of a course. So I love it, man. And just thanks for, for what you're doing out there and the content you're putting out and joining us and for your time today, man, it's been fun. Hey, I appreciate you guys giving me a platform, man. I, I, um, this doesn't happen if people like you don't give me the chance to share it. So I appreciate that. And, and you know, you guys are great. So it's, I'll be encouraged in, uh, to see where you guys go with this. I think what you're doing is really powerful. I love that you have this Batman and Robin dynamic going on here. I think it works regardless, of who's, Batman and, regardless of who's Batman and who's Robin. I know you have to sort that out, but I think you got something here with that. So I, I applaud you guys. I think a lot of people don't do this right. And I know you guys are committed to doing it right. I can tell you've invested your time, you've invested your resources in doing it right. And so there are times I show up to do people's shows and it's it's kind of amateur hour. It's kind of bush league, right? You guys are doing it right. So again, I, I look forward to your growth and, and hopefully being a, an asset in your journey as well. well. Thanks so much, man. That means a lot. And I look forward to catching up with you for the third time in the future and uh, <laughs> learning more about what are you doing and, and seeing the growth behind uh, Startup You. If you're a fan of the Entrepreneur Adventure podcast, we would love to hear about it. You can leave us a review right here on your favorite podcast app. You can subscribe to the podcast or you can find us on Instagram at The Entrepreneur Adventure. Until next time, thank you for joining us.